Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Hopefully this is the last time you hear this ad, because with Chime Checking Account, Features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts. Or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals24. That's chime.com goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com disclosures for details. Ship show. Today, the Labor Department released the November jobs report, non-farm payrolls. Of course, Wall Street always highly anticipates this number. Uh, all of the politicians, uh, Donald Trump was ready to tweet uh, as soon as the data was released. The expectation was for 190,000 jobs for November. And we beat with 228,000 jobs. The unemployment rate held steady at 4.1%, which prompted President Trump to tweet, the unemployment rate remains at a 17-year low of 4.1%. Now remember, when Trump was running for office, he called 5% unemployment the biggest hoax in American history, claiming that the rate was really 30, 40, 50%. Well, if 5% was the biggest hoax in American history. What's 4.1%? It's an even bigger hoax. So this is the biggest hoax in American history, except the difference is now Trump is the purveyor of that hoax. He is no longer calling it out. He is now participating in the same hoax that he criticized in order to get elected. The numbers that missed were the average hourly earnings, which again... Everybody keeps talking about how earnings are going to go up. They were looking for a 0.3% increase in average hourly earnings following flat earnings uh, in the month before. Well, not only did they not get 0.3, they got up 0.2, but they revised last month's zero to down 0.1. So instead of being up 0.3 from zero, 
we were up 0.2 from minus 0.1. So really very disappointing numbers on the wages. Labor force participation rate held steady at 62.7. That's near the lowest it's been in this cycle. And again, if you look at where the jobs were, we did manage to create 31,000 manufacturing jobs. We have had a boost in manufacturing jobs, despite the fact that we're not seeing it in the trade balance because we have the worst trade deficit in five years. Uh, So I don't really know what everybody's manufacturing if we're not exporting it or if it's not reducing our, our imports. But the lion's share of the jobs created in education and healthcare, two bloated uh, sectors of the economy uh, that are being propped up by government. We would be better off losing uh, employment in those sectors and gaining it in others, but we continue to feed the bloated sectors of the economy. Uh, leisure and hospitality, big drop from last month, uh, but still created uh, jobs, the professional business services, temporary help up there. But again, you know, a lot of low-wage jobs, a lot of part-time jobs, nothing has changed, right? It's the same phony jobs that President Trump was calling uh, Obama out on. It were, you know, it's what helped him become elected because it resonated with the people who had those lousy jobs. But of course, now that they're his lousy jobs, uh, it's a different story. Everything is great. Uh, you know, and we, we, we don't hear any of the, the statements that he was making as a candidate. Stock market pretty much likes the numbers, right? It keeps the, uh, the myth going that we have a recovery. Uh, the NASDAQ was up about 30 points. Dow over, uh, up over 100, up 117 points on the day. Gold was relatively flat, up about a buck, but it got beaten up by about $17 yesterday. It was down all day and then sold off on the close as interest rates were rising. That might have put some downward pressure on gold, although ultimately, uh, falling bond prices and rising interest rates are going to be bullish for gold because what's going to be moving the bond market down is going to be higher inflation. And higher inflation is bad for bonds, but it's good for gold. But we're not seeing a lot of interest in gold. And I'm going to get more to that later, but I want to talk a little bit more about some of the economic numbers that came out today. In addition to the jobs numbers, we got the wholesale trade numbers Uh, for October. That's the first month of the third quarter. And they were looking for minus 0.1. Instead, we got minus 0.5. And that is going to provide a drag on fourth quarter GDP. In fact, they even revised down uh, the prior month uh, from up 0.3 to up 0.1. All of this did cause the Atlanta Fed to reduce its forecast for fourth quarter GDP back below 3%. It was at 3.5% at the beginning of the week. And when we got the larger than expected trade deficits, they moved it down to 3.2 midweek. I think that was on Wednesday. And now when we got the bigger than expected drop in inventories, they moved it down to 2.9. The high point back uh, in late October, early November, the Atlanta Fed had a prediction for Q4 GDP all the way up at 4.5%. So we've come down from 4.5 to 2.9. I think we're doing the GDP limbo again. I think we're going to start to see all these high hopes uh, wearing off uh, for big economic growth. So I think we're going to see 
uh, deceleration of that spike above 3% that got Trump so excited, I think we're going to see that decelerate. And that's going to continue not only in the fourth quarter of this year, but in the first quarter of uh, next year. Of course, a lot of the enthusiasm is basically based on the expectation that these tax cuts are going to add substantially to economic growth. And I've talked about why I don't believe that is going to be the case. Although they're already talking about a lot of changes. Now I'm hearing rumors that, well, maybe the um, the uh, corporate rate will be a little higher, maybe 22%. There's now some pressure regarding the, um, the SALT deductions. I'm hearing a lot about them maybe expanding that $10,000 deduction. Right now, the way it was passed in both the House and the Senate, you can deduct up to $10,000 worth of property taxes right, from your federal income tax, but you cannot deduct your state income taxes. So they're making a distinction between property taxes and income taxes, probably because all the states have property taxes, right? Every state, including the Republican states, have property taxes, but it's the high-tax states that have both. So this was really a shot... Uh, to the Democrats by saying, we're not going to let you deduct your income taxes, just your property taxes. And that also was, I think there was some pressure from the realtors. They wanted that deduction in there because the property tax deduction helps to uh, increase the value of property because of the deductibility of uh, the property tax. But if they end up expanding the deductions to include income taxes too, where you can deduct $10,000 total of your state and local taxes, whether you choose your property taxes or your income taxes, you just get $10,000. If they do that, A, that's going to cost a lot of money because there are a lot of people that don't pay $10,000 worth of property taxes. Let's say you have $5,000 worth of property taxes, and so you get to deduct $5,000. Well, if you also paid $5,000 in income taxes, now you get a $10,000 deduction. So, If you allow people to use their income tax and their property tax, a lot more people are going to max out at the $10,000 level. So that is going to blow an even bigger hole in the budget. So how are they going to make up for it? How is the Senate going to make up for that lost revenue if they make that change? Well, maybe they'll raise the corporate income tax or, or do something like that. But also, nobody's really talking about this. That will be very bad for the real estate market. Because once you have a $10,000 cap, most people who have a decent amount of income, right? Let's say you make $100,000, $150,000 a year. Chances are you paid $10,000 in, uh, in income taxes. And so if you max out your deduction on income taxes, well, then you don't need the property tax deduction. Or you can't use it. So that takes away one of the incentives for people to buy a house in the first place. They might as well rent because they're not going to be able to deduct their property tax. Also, you know, with the mortgage cap, if they end up going with the house version where you can only deduct interest on the first $500,000 of your loan, if you're in a high-tax state like California where you need a million-dollar loan to buy the average house, you can't deduct half the interest and you can't deduct any of the property taxes because if you're buying a million-dollar home, chances are you're paying $10,000 a year in state income taxes. So if you're using up all of your, uh, your SALT deduction using your income tax, then you don't get any benefit from buying real estate. So if they make this change, not only will it be more expensive and therefore widen the deficits and have result in other taxes having to be increased, but it will be even worse 
for the real estate market than what has already been proposed. Hey, turning back to politics, so Al Franken finally resigned. You know, I've been talking a lot about Franken and about the allegations and about the fact that I think he's a pawn in a political game that the Democrats are playing. And in fact, if you listen to his resignation speech, that's exactly what's going on. Although one of the interesting things about Franken's uh, resignation speech is he went out of his way to say, look, I respect the rights of women to come out and, and say the things that they're saying. But then he basically said that they're all lying because he denied most of what he's you know, been accused of doing. And so he is, in fact calling these women liars. He's just resigning anyway out of respect for women because apparently they have a right to lie. And since they've lied, well, then he needs to do the right thing and resign because everybody in his party says he needs to resign because they got to bow down or worship at the altar of political correctness. And so if a woman accuses you of something, uh, then it's true and you have to step down. But also part of his, uh, his speech, he called out, President Trump and uh, senatorial candidate Roy Moore for doing much worse things than he did. He said, hey, I'm stepping down, even though I didn't really do anything wrong, right? I'm stepping down because people are falsely accusing me of stuff and I'm going to step down anyway because it's the right thing to do because, you know, I care about women and I care about women's issues. But look how ironic it is because the president is an admitted sexual abuser uh, and he's not resigning and the Republican Party is supporting somebody who molested young women. And so, you know, the Democrats, we're the party that is against sexual harassment and, uh, you know, sexual abuse. And the Republican Party is the party that's in favor of it, right? If they're the ones that, you know, they're, they're the party of sexual harassers and sexual abusers. So this is what is going on. And by the way, the, uh, the president's popularity, I forget the exact number, but I, I read today that Trump's popularity is now at an all-time low, the lowest it's been since he's been president, despite the fact that apparently he's going to finally have a victory in the tax bill. He's never been less popular than he is right now. And if this continues, this does not bode well for the midterm elections. So, you know, I don't know why so many people are so excited about these tax cuts, because if the Republicans do not maintain control of the House and then they lose control of the White House in 2020, say goodbye to all these tax cuts. And, you know, one of the things that I think could be completely very scary is the camel's nose under the tent when it comes to the elimination of the deductibility of state and local taxes. Because even a lot of Republicans now are arguing that this is a good thing. Like conservatives, you know, we don't want to subsidize big government. It is a conservative principle that we should not tax people on money that has already been taxed by the states. I mean, they, they recognize this in the first income tax during the Civil War. And then it was incorporated into the income tax that we had in 1913. But this is a conservative principle. This is a libertarian federalist principle that the first taxing power belongs to the states and the local governments and that the federal government has to come behind that and has to respect that. So if the state has already levied a tax, the federal government doesn't put a tax on that tax. But you have all these conservatives now that are embracing 
the federal government taxing the states, taxing your taxes. And this is not a limited government position. And it is going to come back to bite a lot of the Republicans because right now they're saying, oh, it's a trade-off, right? Because we're lowering the rates at the same time that we're eliminating the deductibility of, of state income taxes. Well, you know what's going to happen? When the Democrats take control, they are going to raise the rates back up, but they're not going to eliminate the SALT deduction. They're going to keep them there. You know, even though they're opposing it now, that's all politics, right? You know, this because they want to, you know, oppose the Republicans. But believe me, once the Republicans set the precedent of not allowing people to deduct their state taxes from their federal taxes, the Democrats are going to love that because they love the big federal government. And of course, the people who pay the high taxes, you know, are the people who itemize. It's the rich people. And in a lot of these blue states, there are Republicans. They're just in a minority. And so there are a lot of Republicans who are getting the benefit of the state and local tax deduction. So once the politics are gone, once the Democrats have control of the White House and Congress, they are going to jack these tax rates back up, but they are not going to restore the deductibility of state and local taxes, especially, you know, on the upper earners. So maybe they will, you know, maintain this $10,000 number, but they are not going to restore it for upper income people. And of course, over time, inflation is going to completely destroy the value of that 10000 And so this is going to come back to bite every Republican. As I said, the camel's nose under the tent. The Republicans never should have let this camel's nose into the tent because they have established a precedent that says we're not going to uh, provide for the exemption or the deductibility of your state and local taxes. They should have held on to that. Even Ronald Reagan, I think he described that as the most sacred of sacred cows, that we have to preserve that, right? We should get rid of the real estate deduction. No, no, they have to hold on to that because of the the lobby uh, of the real estate industry. This one is much more important. This is some a principle, a Republican principle, that is totally being abandoned out of a political vendetta, out of expediency. And believe me, Republicans will rue the day that they did this. Uh, because we're going to end up with the worst of both worlds. We're going to ultimately end up with much higher marginal tax rates than we have now, and you won't be able to deduct your federal income taxes from your even higher state taxes. So it's a recipe for big government. Now, in another example of having to be careful what you wish for, let's talk about Bitcoin. Right? I'm sure a lot of people wanted to hear me talk about Bitcoin, uh, especially to you know make fun of me because I don't own it. But Bitcoin, over the last few days, on Coinbase, I guess, got to 19600 I think. I mean, huge increase. In fact, when I recorded my last podcast, as I was recording it, it was at like 13250 I think I was reading it off as I recorded it. By the time I uploaded it, it was already mid-14,000s. And by the following morning, it was at 15000 and as I'm recording it now, on a Friday afternoon, we're just under 16,000. We're at 15,700, which is down about 900 on the day. But the low this morning was 13,400 or so. I mean, so we were down about two, 3,000 from the, the high. I mean, we were getting incredible volatility. But obviously, we've had a huge jump 
in the value of Bitcoin. And the catalyst is the introduction of futures trading, which is going to begin on Sunday night. So Sunday night is when they're going to start trading futures on Bitcoin. And I think in anticipation of this, you have this big run-up in the price. But as I said, be careful what you wish for because a lot of people are convinced that this is just going to be uh, the next up move. Right now that we're, we're mainstream, now that we've got futures trading, you know, this legitimizes Bitcoin, this mainstreams Bitcoin. And now, you know, now it's going to be even bigger. Now we've got the blessing of the powers that be. Now we have more institutions are going to be able to get involved and this broadens the demand. And so everybody is so excited. But what if the opposite happens? Right? Now, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it won't happen for a while. But what if one of the reasons that Bitcoin went up so much is because there are some people who want to short it, but they want to short it at a higher price. So they go into the market and they buy up a bunch of Bitcoin in order to get the price higher so that when they short it on Sunday night, they can short it at a high price. Now, once they're short, and of course, when you're short, you have a lot of leverage, right? Once you short a futures contract, you're making a much bigger bet. So you can buy Bitcoin in a relatively thin cash market and push up the price. And then once you get the price higher, right, now you short futures contracts. And then what do you do? Then you take the actual Bitcoin that you bought to help push up the price. And now you dump them on the market. And when you dump them on the market, the price goes down. And now you clean up on your short because you end up making a lot more on the contracts you shorted than what you lose on the Bitcoins that you're selling because you have all this leverage on the short. So you're actually profiting more on the downside than you're losing. Now, maybe this is going on. I don't know. Just try to guess where all this buying came from. Of course, also, there could be buy the rumor, sell the fact, right? People, oh, we're going we're gonna to get this thing listed. Let's buy it in anticipation of the listing. And then it get listed. And then you sell. So there is a lot of risk here that the price of Bitcoin could collapse, after futures trading. Now, no, maybe it goes the other way. Maybe, you know, maybe this bubble continues to grow. But as I've said many, many times, it doesn't matter how big the bubble gets. All the air is going to come out one way or another, right? This thing is going to collapse. And in fact, I saw more people on the television today trying to justify the regulation that they believe is coming to Bitcoin and saying this is a good thing. Like we need more regulation, we need more transparency, that getting government involved, getting more regulation, you know, more government control is a good thing. I mean, that's nonsense. The whole appeal of Bitcoin was the lack of government control, right? The lack of regulation, right? The fact that it was anonymous, the fact that, you know, the government wasn't interfering. You know, when I would argue with people and say, look, you know, Bitcoin is backed by nothing, right? Let's at least, if let's have a digital currency backed by gold, Right, that's something real, right? Let's have a currency backed by something instead of a currency backed by nothing. I mean, that was an argument when we went off the gold standard. When the dollar was backed by gold, people like my father, who testified in front of the Senate Committee on Money and Banking against the removal of gold backing, said that a dollar backed by something is better than a dollar backed by nothing. And of course, all the Keynesian economists said, no, the dollar is going to be better without gold. 
Gold is somehow hurting the dollar. If we can unchain it from gold, then gold will go down. I mean, there were all these government economists. When gold was at $35 an ounce in 1968, all these big economists from the Federal Reserve, uh, from the Council of Economic Advisors, and you can read my father's testimony and their testimony in the back of his book, The Biggest Con. But my father was the only person that said, if we go out the gold standard, the price of gold is going to soar. It was $35 an ounce. It went up to eight fifty. dollars Every other expert said the gold price would drop, that the dollar would gain value once it was no longer held back by gold. And my father said, that's nonsense. Currency backed by nothing is not better than currency backed by something. Well, the same thing is going to apply with cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency backed by something is better than cryptocurrency backed by nothing. But what people would always tell me was that, well, if you back your cryptocurrency with gold, then it's not decentralized anymore because somebody has to store the gold and now the government can seize the gold. You have counterparty risk. The beauty of Bitcoin, they told me, was that there's nothing to steal because there's nothing there. So you don't have to worry about that. Well, if you get all this regulation to the point where the government knows everybody who buys crypto Bitcoin, everybody who sells it, they know where you keep it, and now they can seize it, right, if you're not paying your taxes or if you're engaged in activity that they don't like and they can seize it, right, as contraband, right, just like they seize, you know, if they find a bunch of cash, if you're, you know, the police pull you over, they just forfeiture, right, they take your cash, they claim, oh, you use this cash in drugs. Well, let's say the government, you know, sees you have a bunch of Bitcoins, they just say, oh, you must have earned those Bitcoins in the drug trade, they just take them from you, right, now you got to go to court, right, if, if, if they take Bitcoin and they make it so regulated so the government knows everything about it, then what's the value? Why not just have gold then? Right? If the government can seize your Bitcoin, then all right, well then just have bit cryptocurrency backed by gold. Just use gold instead of Bitcoin. In fact, one of the reasons that I think Bitcoin was strong uh, this week was that gold was so weak. Or maybe it was gold being weak that helped crypto a uh, Bitcoin go up. I'm not really sure at this point what is the dog and what is the tail in this relationship. But I am very convinced that you now have Bitcoin and gold trading as in comp competition with one another. I think they're going to be negatively correlated. Why is that? Because all the people now, all the money that is now chasing Bitcoin, everybody, and I've, I've, I've heard so many interviews now, everybody concedes that it's not money, that it's not currency that no one is going to spend it, nobody is going to use it, right, other than maybe criminals, but no honest person is going to use Bitcoin. They're going to save it, they're going to hoard it as an asset, right, that it's too slow, that it's too expensive, that it's too volatile and too valuable to be used as money, right? It's an asset, right? Now, what kind of asset is it? It doesn't generate income, it doesn't pay interest, it doesn't pay dividends, so it's supposedly just a store of value, right, like gold. Right? Gold doesn't pay interest. Gold doesn't pay dividends. So they're saying it's digital gold. Well, if it's digital gold, then, then it's in competition with gold. And I think as gold goes down and Bitcoin goes up, that just fuels the frenzy that, hey, if you want a safe haven, if you're looking for something that's, you know, that's going to protect you in times of political uncertainty, a hedge against inflation, just buy Bitcoin instead of gold. This is what people are doing. But what that means is if gold really starts to move up, then all of a sudden people are going to say, wait a minute, let me just change now. Well, all of a sudden gold 
is, is moving up. Let me just take some of my Bitcoin and let me buy some gold. And I do believe that if it's a choice between Bitcoin and gold, as far as who's going to win the battle of what's the best store of value, what's the best safe haven, gold is going to win hands down. Because once you take the ridiculous argument that, well, Bitcoin is going to be money and currency, right? Once you take that out of it and you're just looking at Bitcoin as an asset, as a store of value, there's no value to store, right? Why is gold a store of value? Because you're storing actual gold. Gold is a valuable metal, right? With characteristics and properties that have been desired for centuries. Bitcoin doesn't have any characteristics or properties that can't be replicated by any other cryptocurrency anytime somebody wants to, you know, ICO one, right? You cannot replicate the properties of gold. People have tried for centuries and failed. You can't do it. If you want the properties of gold, you need gold, right? There's nothing else. There's no light gold, dodge gold. There's just gold. And so when it comes to this competition, gold is going to win. Right. But right now, it's all about momentum. People ask me, you know, interviews, why are people buying Bitcoin? Why are they buying it? Because it's going up. Now, there are people who bought it originally years and years ago, you know, not that many, actually, who, you know, bought it because they didn't trust central banks. They didn't trust the Fed. uh, They were worried about inflation. In fact, I was reading an article today interviewing Cameron Rinkelvoss, who is one of the twins who are basically, I think, the first crypto billionaires, although I don't know if they're each billionaires or they have a billion dollars or more combined you know, between the two of them. But anyway, he was being interviewed. And one of the questions that he was asked was, is he worried about all the competition for Bitcoin, all the other cryptocurrencies that have already been created and all those that may be created in the future that have yet to be invented? Is he worried about diluting the value because there'll be so many other cryptocurrencies to choose from. And his answer was no, not at all. Because he said that Bitcoin is not in competition with any of the other cryptocurrencies. That its only competition is gold. Now, I mean, either these guys are just brilliant marketers or they're complete fools who happen to have gotten rich despite their foolishness. But I do believe that trying to target gold as your competition is a smart thing. I just think that people who are buying into it are doing something dumb. Now, maybe they're getting rich now because other people are doing the same dumb thing. But Bitcoin is not competing with gold. It is, in fact, competing with all the other cryptocurrencies. And none of them are real competitors to gold. I mean, obviously, Bitcoin has far more in common with other cryptocurrencies than it does with gold. I mean, it actually has nothing in common with gold. That is the reality. But I think the Winklevoss know that that is how you get the institutional money. That is the story that is trying to bring in the big investors is to try to separate Bitcoin from all the other cryptocurrencies by saying this alone, Bitcoin alone, is the one that competes with gold when The other cryptocurrencies are no different than Bitcoin. I mean, they're just a different cryptocurrency, but the properties are the same. In fact, in many cases, the properties are better. They've improved on the original. It's just a different cryptocurrency. But the Winklevoss want to make sure that this is the one that is considered to be digital gold. I mean, the rest can be whatever you want them to be, but they're trying to, uh, you know, infuse Bitcoin with this property and say it's in competition with gold 
And so that, you know, feeds into what I'm saying, that they're going in opposite directions because that is how a lot of people are looking at Bitcoin as a competitor to gold. So if gold's doing poorly, then Bitcoin is attracting investment. But conversely, when gold finally starts to break out, that will lessen the appeal of Bitcoin because now people will say, oh, gold is acting as a better store of value. Uh, Gold has less volatility. So let's move into gold. The people who are buying it now and the institutions who are buying it now, they, they don't care. They couldn't care less about any of that stuff. They're just buying it because it's going up. They've got suckered into the hype. Now, sometimes they adopt some of the, you know, the story, some of the sexy story uh, that helped, you know, you know, uh, bring in the buyers. But the bottom line is they're buying it because it's going up. And as long as it's going up, they'll keep buying it until it stops going up and starts going down. And then when it stops going down, they're going to sell it, right? Now, the diehards, the real, the real you, know, uh, you know, Bitcoin, you know, I'm in it for the end, right? They're never going to sell. So they'll ride it all the way down. But the people who are jumping in now, they don't have any kind of political philosophy. They're just trying to make money. And they're greedy and they're jumping on a moving train. And when it starts to move in the other direction, well, they're going to jump off that train. And the problem is, though, if a lot of people try to jump off that train, you know, it's, it's going to be a train wreck. One last point I wanted to make, too, about Bitcoin. I read an article about Bitcoin hoarders and about how you know you got a lot of millennials who you know are Bitcoin millionaires, but they live like paupers because they don't want to spend any of their Bitcoin because they're afraid that every Bitcoin they spend now, you know, they think about how much it's going to be worth in the future. And so they don't want to spend it. Right. And, and so, you know, they have all this money, but, you know, they're, they're not enjoying it. Right. And the the other part of this article was trying to show how this is the virtue of thrift and how, you know, Keynesians, they give thrift a bad name. They talk about the paradox of thrift or this nonsense about why savings is bad and why you have to spend. And so this guy was writing about how this is showing that, you know, savings are good and it's good for the economy. And the fact that, you know, people are saving Bitcoin, this is a good thing. There is a huge difference between people hoarding Bitcoin and people who are actually saving because hoarding Bitcoin does absolutely nothing to help the economy. Whereas saving from your income does a lot to help the economy. And I want to explain the difference between earning money and not spending it and saving it versus hoarding appreciating Bitcoins. Because saving from your income is great for the economy. Hoarding your Bitcoins does nothing for the economy. You know who gets helped by people hoarding their Bitcoins? The other people who are selling. Because by not selling Bitcoins, you're helping the price go up and you're helping other people who are selling get more money. But the reason that savings are good is because when you go out there and earn money, you've done something productive. You, you've worked, right? You've, you've, you've added to society by doing something, right? You've produced something. You've aided in the production of a good or a service. But you took the money that you earned and you didn't spend it all, right? You, 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 you put into the pot more than you took out of the pot, right? You underconsumed, And then what did you do with the uh, money that you did not spend? You saved it. But you didn't just hoard it. You didn't take your money and shove it under your mattress, right? What you did with your savings is maybe you deposited it into a bank. And what did the bank do with it? They loaned it out to some businessman who needed to buy some capital equipment to improve the productivity of his workers so that his business can produce more stuff. So what happens is by under-consuming, you free up 
resources, right, to be made available for capital investment, which makes labor productivity increase, right, which increases the output, which increases the supply of goods and services, which grows the standard of living. And so that is why savings grow the economy. And the reward is the interest that you earn on your savings. And now if you save your money, if you underconsume today and then save money and earn interest, you can consume more over your lifetime, assuming you know you don't you don't die prematurely, because now not only do you get to spend the money you saved, but you get to spend the interest you earned on those savings. So savings really are virtuous. There is no paradox of thrift. There's no paradox at all. There's just a lack of intelligence on the part of Keynesians to understand the benefits of saving. They, they think savings are a waste. They have no idea where production comes from. They just want everybody spending. Well, if nobody saved, there'd be nothing to buy. What good is it if you're spending money on nothing, right? You just have massive inflation. But when people are hoarding their Bitcoins, they are not reducing their current consumption. I mean, to the extent that they could sell their Bitcoins and consume more, but then somebody else would have to buy it, right? So whatever they consume, somebody else would have to forego. You know, another reason that gold is savings is because when you don't use your gold, right? When you have some gold and you decide not to do something with it, like make jewelry out of it or use it in electronics or any of the various ways that gold is used, right? When you decide just to hold on to it in a coin or in a bar, what you are doing is you are saving your gold to be used later, right? Because gold is immutable, meaning that over time, it doesn't lose any of its properties. It's not like it rots or it decays like like other commodities. It doesn't no matter how long, right? You can bury it in the ground and I can dig it up in a year or a thousand years and it's still there. It's still exactly the same as it was and I could do everything in the future that I could have done today. In fact, one of the interesting things about gold is if even if you use it, right? Even if you take your gold and turn it into jewelry, you can melt the jewelry down and you get your gold back. You get your bullion back. I mean, if I take gold and I use it to, to fill a cavity in my tooth, you could always, you know, if you take out your tooth, right, if somebody dies, right, they could take the tooth, the gold's still there. You could put it right back in its bullion form. You really can't do that with other commodities. You use it and it's gone. Gold, you could use it and use it again and use it again and use it again. So it's ideally suited for savings. See, Bitcoin, people will argue, well, the Bitcoin is the same. It's also immutable because, you know, it doesn't decay. It doesn't rot. I mean, a Bitcoin today is still going to be here in a thousand years. And that may be true. It'll be just as useless, just as worthless a thousand years from now as it is today. Because right now you can't do anything with your Bitcoin. And that's true. If you hold on for it to a year, you still can't do anything with it. So in that respect, yes, it's immutable, but so what? What is the purpose? What have you achieved when you save nothing? If you save gold, then you are preserving an actual asset and you are preserving all of the things that, that you can do with that asset. But when somebody is saving Bitcoin, they have preserved nothing because there's nothing of value. There is nothing that can be done with the Bitcoin. Yes, you could give it to somebody else if they want it, but all they can do is hold on to it to give it to somebody else if they want it. That is not the case with gold because gold has value unto itself. Gold has a use, you know, irrespective of its use as money. It has a use as a commodity and its value as a commodity that makes it money. 
and it is the other properties that other commodities don't have that makes it a much better form of money than anything else man has ever devised. But there is no production associated. No one is working to get the increased value of their Bitcoin. It's just going up. And of course, people who are hoarding Bitcoins are not loaning them out, right? So whatever the paper value of your Bitcoins are, it's not doing any good as far as uh, enabling capital investment because nobody is taking their Bitcoins to a bank and the bank is not loaning them out to some entrepreneur who is using those unspent Bitcoins to make capital investments. So to say that hoarding of Bitcoins has anything in common with legitimate savings out of income and saving money in a way that it can be loaned out, it's an apples to orange comparison. But the guy was trying to talk about why this is good for the economy. We're going back to the old virtues. We're not going back to anything. I mean, I read all kinds of cockamamie stories trying to validate this mania. And to me, it's just like all the nonsense I read about the dot-coms. You know, it's a new era. They don't have to make a profit. It's about eyeballs. It's Everybody has to justify a mania. And, you know, the price keeps going up. I get that. You know, and people just want to say, well, Peter doesn't understand cryptocurrencies. I think I understand them perfectly. If I didn't understand them, maybe I would own them. And then I obviously have a lot more money if I didn't understand them until eventually there's an old saying, a fool and his money are eventually parted. I understand why they're not going to work. Apparently, most people, or at least the people who are buying them, don't understand that. So they buy them anyway. They buy them not knowing that it's not going to work. But as long as you have a greater supply of fools that will continue to buy, well, then the price is going to keep going up until one day the price implodes. And what I can tell you is this, so many people like a Pavlovian dog, right, have been trained to buy the dip, buy the dip, right? Every time the price comes crashing down, everybody expects it to go right back up. Well, that is going to work every time until it doesn't. And when it finally doesn't work, it's too late because you don't know, right? You don't know which dip is not the dip to buy, which dip is the prelude to a crash. And that's why I keep telling people, hey, you know, you can buy these things if you want, but you've got to ask yourself one question, right? A question made famous uh, by Clint Eastwood. Do you feel lucky? Well, if you feel lucky, then buy some Bitcoin. But you better be lucky enough or smart enough to get out before the music stops. Oh, 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 oh,